You know, one of the things that we always talk about when it comes to reading through the Bible, uh, and, and, and especially what we're doing, is you, it provides a lot more context around you know, the, the stories and the, the places that things are at. Uh, I mean, I know for me growing up, I grew up in church and there was many times it was like, you're supposed to read your Bible, read your Bible. And so what I would do is, oh, I gotta read my Bible. So I'd pick up my Bible and just like, and open up. And it was always the most random verse that literally made no sense at all. And I was like, that wasn't helpful. Close it and uh, wait a few more weeks until I need to do it again, okay? <laughs> but whenever you read through it, it makes a whole lot more sense and you're able to connect with the, the people that are in it, follow them through their lives. And so anyway, today what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be in the book of Ephesians chapter four and we're gonna use verses one through three as kind of the launching point of what we're really gonna talk about today. And um, I'm just gonna go ahead and forewarn you that today's message is an exciting one, uh, but it's also gonna be very challenging, okay? Uh, every now and then you come to church and, and everything's just, you agree with it completely, right? You're sitting there and it's uplifting and you're like, yes, and everybody's saying amen. And then other weeks you come and it's a subject that's not so um, entertaining, but it's more confronting. And I have a feeling that the, the message today is gonna be in that vein. And so right off the bat, can I just go ahead and ask every single one of us, all of us, every single one of us to lay down our defenses. Okay, can we do that? Like, take a deep breath, lay down your defenses and your opinions and your life experiences and all these things and just really find a place that it's okay for the next 30, 35 minutes, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna listen to the word of God and I'm just gonna receive it and I'm not gonna have like this immediate opinion every single time I hear something, all right? So uh, y'all with me on that? Yes. All right, uh, a pretty good amount of you, less than how many were doing good. So how many's doing good? Yeah! Are you good now? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> don't wanna commit to that yet. So, so anyway, we are at, like I said, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three. And this is Paul. He says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and be gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Paul starts off this by saying, first of all, I want to get your identity right. I want you to understand who you really are. And he, and he starts with himself. He says, I am a prisoner for serving the Lord. A prisoner. Now, you guys know prisoners, they don't have that many rights. Okay, their rights, like what they want to do is being submitted to a higher power. Okay, so right off the bat, he says, I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord. Basically, and he says this in other things, some things I want to do, I just can't do. I'm not supposed to do, right? So he's already, he's already saying that. Then he says, so as that, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. So as believers in God and as followers of Jesus, we are called out of this world system. We're called out of darkness, and now we are in his light. Okay, that's, that's what the Bible says. So who we were before Christ is no longer the same as what we are now. This is very easy to understand so far, I know. I'm just trying to make it really, really, really plain, okay? So he says this, because of that, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because you love each other, all right? 
okay? Make every effort to keep yourselves united. Make every effort to keep yourselves united. Today, I wanna to talk to you about unity in the church. I wanna talk about unity in the church. Now, here's the deal. We are a microcosm of our nation, okay? So, so if there's disunity in our nation, it can so easily seep into become disunity in the church. Y'all with me on that? Yes. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so he says, I want you to make every effort for that not to take place. You know, Sundays are considered one of the most segregated days in America. I mean, you've got your, your white churches and your black churches, right? You got all those, all those different types of churches. And then on top of that, you've got your different denominations. Okay, we got denominations for every sort of understanding of the word of God. And, and then for those that don't fit into that, we've got non-denominational, right? <laughs> you know I'm talking about like, like whatever flavor we got it. Okay. So it's, it's all out there. And I think that's positive. I think that you've got a lot of different people. So I think it's good to have a lot of different churches and different personalities and different understandings and ways of interpreting things. I mean, you know, there, there is a threshold that that is very, very good. It's positive, but it's still very, it's, it's not very unified. Okay, and whenever, I mean, we, have, we already have that situation. And whenever you add to that cultural situations that are taking place, it magnifies that and it puts a lot of pressure on that unity. And like I said a while ago, we've been called out of the world system. We've been called out of darkness and we're placed into this, this light. We're, we're, it's a different way of living. So it should be a different way of thinking. Be, basically, if everybody that's in the, the world responds to a situation a certain way, we as the church should respond differently. Why? Because we have a different set of rules. We have a different standard. We should, but sometimes we don't. And the thing is, it's because unity is difficult and it's something that has to be fought for uh, and, and, and cherished between all different sides. I want to make this statement, if, if we're united, there's nothing that can divide us. But if we're not united, anything can divide us. If me and my wife, our hearts are together, okay? We, we are on the same page, like we wanna make this thing work. There's not much that can come into our life that can tear us apart and cause us to be separated or get a divorce, right? Because overall, whether or not our emotions are matching up with it or whatever, we desire to stay together more than prove a point or win the argument. See what I'm saying? And, and, and so if you take that and you apply that to churches, you can see how that would play out. And a nation, you can see how that would play out. If unity is at the core, like our, our, our desire is to be on the same page as much as possible, if we have that goal, then we can work through a lot of situations and remain united even though we disagree, okay? Paul says unity is a byproduct of love. He's like, look, because you love each other, stay in unity. Unity is a byproduct of love. If I love someone, I want to be on the same page with them. I wanna understand them. I wanna hear what they have to say. You know what I'm talking about? Try being married and never listening to your spouse. It's not gonna last very long. Try having a friend and never speak to them. It's gonna be a bad situation, right? Unity is a byproduct of love and, 
And it's, it's, a, it's a, a difficult situation, but it's something that we have to cherish. cherish. And I wanted to bring kind of an illustration to you about how, how I see this, uh, because culture is really fighting us in this. Culture is really seeking in a lot of different ways to divide us, okay? And it's kind of like this. I have a little five-year-old girl, and whenever we have the family over or we go over to somebody's house and we're hanging out, the adults are, you know, sitting around the table and, you know, having really intelligent conversations. And the children are in the back, and everything's cool. And then you might hear, like, a boom or something, and it's quiet for a second, and you're like, is everything okay? And then you start hearing the... And you hear the tone. And like, oh, man, here it comes. Here, and it builds and it builds. And then they come busting out the room, running down the hallway. Mimi, mom, mom. You know, they're already, I mean, they are fighting for their position. Here it comes. And here you are standing there. And you got these two or five, depending what's going on, kids standing before you. And they are just trying to prove their point. They are just trying to, well, she said this. Well, no, I didn't. You said, you guys know what I'm saying, especially parents. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh my gosh, here we go. If you have a lot of kids, you probably don't even hear it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, there's, I don't, I don't hear anything right now. You know, I just have one. So it's pretty prevalent. It's just one. But anyway, so, but you're thrust in this position where now all of a sudden you are, the judge, you have to determine which one's right or wrong, okay? <laughs> and, and many times it, it's a long journey, okay? But sometimes it's, it's obvious who's right or wrong. One of them maybe admits and it's, mm, yeah, I said that. Well, you should now apologize, now hug it, now go on. And it kind of, you know, goes away. Every now and then though, there's, they're kind of equally right or wrong. Like, oh, well, you did that, you said that, and then y'all both, ah, okay. All right, and then what do you usually do? Y'all hug each other and move on, you know? My dad grew, grew up in Louisiana, and uh, he had, I think, four brothers and a sister, and, and they would, first of all, you didn't have a choice to be inside. Like, you just had to go outside. They, they, it's summertime, you live outside. You don't live in the home. You come in to bathe, eat, and go to bed. And other than that, you're out, you know? He said they had calluses on the bottom of their feet, you know? But anyway, uh, <laughs> just running through the woods. And so, uh, so but what would happen is they'd get in a fight and they'd come busting through the kitchen door, you know? The, the, the kitchen was right in the entrance of the house. And, and <laughs> he always talks about how uh, his mom would just be like, no, get, get out. Like, they didn't even want to hear what they had to say. They didn't even give them a choice to even fight for their position. Get out, y'all go play, I, I, you know? Sometimes we probably need to do that a little bit more with our kids, but whatever. That's, for, that's another message, I guess. But the point is that you are in this position where you are being, you're, you're kind of having to choose which side you're going to end up on. And sometimes the best thing as a parent is to not choose a side in the first place, right? It's to actually be between those two opposing forces <laughs> and have a conversation and maybe, you know, point out some things that they're not seeing in order to find a place of what? Unity. And you guys know where I'm going with this. Culture is wanting and almost forcing us to pick a side in so many situations that we see nowadays. Like as the church, forcing us to pick a side. The problem with this picking a side is this though. When you pick a side, you can't help but divide. You can't help it. It's part of what it means to pick a side. 
You are dividing yourself from the other point of view. You're dividing yourself and you're identifying that, that, that person or whatever as being wrong and therefore you're right. Now there's some things in the word of God, all right, that are black and white, that are just obvious. Like this is wrong, this is sin. Yes, there's parameters, y'all with me? But then there's some other things, especially politically and socially that we see that don't fit into that mold so easily. And whenever we confuse those and we fight for one like we would fight for the other, it's where we start stepping outside of our calling. Paul said, you're called by God to do certain things and be certain things. You have an identity. You are a prisoner of the Lord. So therefore, the way that you would want to do something does not necessarily mean it's the way that you're supposed to do something. And so he starts challenging the, our thought processes and, and the things that we think about things, the, the way that we think, think about things. And um, so here we are, we're in the room and we're at church, which is a really positive place to be. And we're talking about unity. And if I said, how many of you want unity in your family? Yes. How many of you want unity in your church? Yes. Amen. In our nation. Absolutely. Like we're all united on that, okay? But then we're going along in our life and then like a statement or something happens and then we get divided. And I'll put it to you like this, it's this easy. It's this easy, I'm, I'm gonna divide the room up just real good. Just, just like that, I'm just gonna drop a bomb in here real quick, right? Just to show you. Because yeah, we're all for unity. We all want our nation to prosper. We want blah, 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 blah. And then we say national anthem. And then what happens? Like, there's explosions, there's cracks in the foundation of the church right now, right? Because we feel strongly about this situation. And it's amazing how we feel so strongly about unity and being Christ-like, but whenever something is dropped like that, check, check, how, when it's dropped like that, how we forget so quickly how positive and energetic we were about being in unity together. And now I wanna completely win the argument. I won the one, win the battle and I have chosen a side. You see church, it's, it's easy to talk about stuff like unity. It's a whole nother thing to actually do it. It's a whole nother thing to actually be united. Unity is easy before it's tested. It's easy. There's a lot of things in our lives that are easy. It's easy to be married for three days. Super easy. You know what I'm saying? You're like in the Bahamas, everything's fine, it's cool. And then, and then you come back to reality. And it's like, oh, this is difficult. That's right, anything worth having is difficult. Unity is worth having, but it is difficult. But we're gonna fight for it. Y'all with me still? Everybody still with me? That's good. I'm glad you guys are, are still with me. So, so in speaking of dividing and, and, and choosing sides, um, I believe that these these choices are made daily. I believe these choices are made daily also because of a beautiful invention called Facebook. Just a really, really cool idea, right? I read an article actually this morning. And I've been feeling this way for a long time, but you know how sometimes stats start following uh, what you feel, okay? And they're starting to actually track and learn more about what social media is doing to our society. And can I tell you something? In one sense, it's awesome bringing people together, conversations, and I mean, friends that you haven't seen in years. But the bigger problem, the bigger issue is that it's dividing people like never before. 
It is dividing our nation like never, it's dividing our world like never before. It is a real tangible situation. And what does it look like? It's Tuesday at 3 p.m. You're on break at work and you look at your phone and there's just articles and videos and people, right? And what do you do? I agree, like. You just sent out like a, like this, this, you know, this giant wave tsunami of opinion and stuff out there. You share something. You might not totally agree with the entire thing, but you're just like, you know, that's a good perspective. Like, oh, he has chosen that side. You know what I'm talking about? And did you know that there are algorithms that begin to feed you exactly what you want to hear? So if you like or you share or you comment a lot on one train of thought, you're going to continue to read those very same things. So then all of a sudden you believe that everybody sees eye to eye with you. Not really realizing that what's happening is you've got two different opposing views that are, are reading different things. And what are they doing? They're being divided farther and farther away from each other. They're picking a side. What's happening? Every time you pick a side, you divide. So today's message is not going to be one that's going to be so easily accepted because usually there's wrong on both sides. Any, uh, most times that me and Nadine, my wife, get in an argument, it's, it's hardly ever 100% wrong on one side and 0% right. Wait, I said that wrong. Oh man, I'm wrong. I'm always wrong. Can't even say anything right. You guys know what I'm saying. Sometimes I'm 30% wrong and she's 70% wrong or I'm 60 and she's 40, right? There's this levels of inaccuracy or wrongness. But what has to happen? If there's gonna be reconcile, uh, you know, a reconcile, there has to be a compromise. There has to be a, all right, I'm gonna, I'll let you get that one on me, but it's, I would rather be on the same page than, than prove my point, correct? That's what happens whenever our unity is tested. So I want to I propose a question to you. What if we're not supposed to, supposed to pick a side sometimes? Like just what if it's okay to be in this gray area? What if it's okay to be in the middle? What if it's okay to be stuck in the middle of two, two things? Like just go with, go with me there today. I mean, y'all still with me? I'm going to ask you every now and then just to see. But like what if it's okay to not be on this side and also not be on this side. I was, I was talking to a friend of mine probably uh, about 10 years ago or so, and we, had, we were in this big theological conversation. Well, I mean, one of those ones that, I mean, it's deep. You know what I'm saying? We had like this big systematic theology book and we were just like, yes, talking of things that we knew nothing about. But <laughs> we're talking and he ended up, he ended up saying, man, it's, it's, it's either this or that. And I said, well, it's, it's got to be one or the other. He said, yeah, it's either this or that. And I was kind of confused by that because I was like, man, man, the way that I see it, I see it really could actually be a mixture. And, and instead of the or, it maybe is this and that. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. That's just, it can't work like that. It just doesn't. And I, first of all, I was very impressed. So I was like, congratulations. Um, you, out of all of the people in history... You figured it out. You did. Congratulations. Like, I need to give you the microphone so you can tell everybody what they need to know because you have such clarity in this matter, you know? But anyway, uh, I was being sarcastic there, guys, being sarcastic. <laughs> because I was like, I see it not so much 
this or that, but more this and that. And I think there's a lot of things in life that we encounter that we are so programmed to say it's this or that. I gotta be on this side or that side. Versus realizing not only sometimes is there a middle ground, but sometimes even if we agree or disagree, we're still called to be in that middle ground. Because we are the church. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to do it right where other people do it wrong. We're called to be the example. We're called to be like Jesus. So we have a different mandate on our life. It's inherent from being as you are a believer. But the middle is awkward. The middle is uncomfortable. Because a lot of times when you're in the middle, you don't belong to a certain group. And we all want to belong to a certain group. We want people to rally around our ideas and our thought processes to make us feel better about what we're thinking and feeling. And sometimes that's probably the worst thing. You know what being the devil's, devil's advocate is? Fighting for a side that maybe you don't fully agree with or fully see eye to eye with, but you could still have the ability to be the devil's advocate, okay? I really think that it reveals Something is revealed in your heart whenever you can't fight for either side in a lot of situations. Because if I can't fight for a certain side, that means I don't understand what they're saying. And therefore, it's impossible for me to have empathy or compassion for them. Impossible. See, unity, one of the key components of unity is empathy. In my marriage, if I don't have empathy for my wife, okay, and, and she, she brings up a certain situation, and I'm just totally seeing it from my side, odds are my response is gonna be terrible. I'm gonna say something really bad or wrong. Why? Because we just, don't, we're not on the same page. So everything I say, she doesn't understand. Everything that she says, I, it's like we're talking in two different languages. Why? Because you've got to understand somebody before you can correct them. You gotta understand where somebody's coming from before you start forwarding your posts, right? I think a lot of times we just truly we just don't understand. We just don't understand each other. So we all wanna be on the right side. Then we have to determine <laughs> what side is the right side. But what if there isn't a right side? What if there's right on both sides? We're gonna see this exemplified and displayed through the life of Jesus. Cause look, come on, we're here, we're in the church. We believe in Jesus or mostly believe in Jesus. We, we agree at least that he did a lot of things very well when he was on the earth. He was at the very least a really good man, okay? He did things, and the reason I say that is because you know that not everybody believes Jesus is the Messiah, right? But we all agree that he was a great person. And some of the things that he did and he exemplified on this earth, we've got to learn from, right? As believers, <laughs> that's what we're called to do. And sometimes we draw a line where that thought process will end, where it's like, okay, I'll, I'll mimic and, and exemplify the life of Christ, but not this far. <laughs> now, not this far. And I think it has a lot to do with our identity. And I want to say this before we go into the next part of this message. Before we are citizens of the United States of America, we are citizens of the body of Christ. Okay. And that right there, that's a core issue. It's a core issue. You know, I can, I can get in a lot of conversations about our nation and not get 
hyper-emotional and angry. Why? Because I know my identity. I know where my hope lies. I'm not saying give up on what we're in, but I'm saying let's have some proper perspective in it. What would Jesus do? Well, let's ask the question, what did Jesus, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus, because Jesus was stuck in the middle, y'all. Y'all know that? He was, his whole life, he was stuck in the middle. He was stuck in the middle between the law and the lost. Come on, if you know your Bible, you know that that was one of the biggest arguments that he had to deal with over and over and over again. There was this one time that he's preaching in the temple and I mean, he's, he's doing good. He's preaching, people are listening. I'm sure it was like a service like this, right? Lights and all, no. But having a good time. And then guess who shows up? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group of guys that were always trying to trap Jesus in something. They were, they were just trying to trap him, and this is no different. They found a woman who was actively in adultery, okay? Now, <laughs> how do you find someone who's in adultery? I, they had to set that up. They did something. I don't know. But anyway, they grab this woman, and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And they say, Jesus, you know the law. You know that the law of Moses says that anyone found in adultery must be stoned to death. You know that. Right? They're like, <laughs> and uh, they're like, since you know that, what are you going to do about it? What, what, what do you say? And so Jesus is stuck in this moment between the law, which he knows is, yeah, the law does say that. But then he's looking at this woman and he has compassion for her. She's lost. And so he's stuck between these two situations and I love what the Bible says that he just kind of stoops over and he starts writing in the dust, in the dirt. And some people who really want to like use it to preach something really strong, they say, Jesus was probably writing the sins of all those Pharisees on the ground. I don't know if he did was or not. <laughs> he could have. <laughs> I think he might've been praying. Maybe he was like, like what I would probably be doing. I'm just distracting them by doing something like this. I'm like, oh. Uh, I don't know what to say right now. Uh, Lord, help me, <laughs> right? I bet that Jesus did know that how he responded to this situation would be an example that we would be talking about here in 2017. He said, you know, I, I've got to do this right because a lot of people are gonna follow my example. So he's stuck between, he's stuck between truth, the law, and he's stuck between grace for the lost. And he's stuck here. And so what does he do? He's, he's writing. And the Pharisees begin to press him harder. Come on, Jesus, what you got to say? What's your opinion? What? Come on, you know the law. You know it. Say it. Say it. Like pressuring him to say the thing that was going to divide him away from this woman. And so he's like, you know what? You're right. The law does say that. And he said, but, uh, so since it's right, why don't you who has the first, you know, who has no sin in your life, why don't you go ahead and throw that first stone real quick? Get this thing started. And what do they do? You guys know the story. They all dropped their stones and they, they walked away because none of them could do that. Jesus was changing everything. He was turning everything upside down. They didn't know what to do about it. 
So the men walk away and he goes to the woman. He says, so where are they all at? Where's your accusers? And she's like, they're all gone. He says, I'm not going to condemn you either. But then he said, now, stop acting the fool. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He says, go and sin no more. You know what you're doing is wrong. Come on. I've got something better for you than that. He was stuck between grace and truth. And he threaded the needle perfectly. He didn't choose a side. He stays stuck in the middle. It's very difficult to do that, right? Because if he would have sided with the Pharisees, he would have had all the backing of the Pharisees behind him. All the legacy and the money and the power. He would have had that. But he would have lost. He would have lost the whole point that he was there, which is to change everything. Do we have what it takes to be stuck like Jesus was? Stuck in the middle between the law and the lost. The other thing is this. Jesus was stuck in the middle between the believer and the unbeliever. The believer and the unbeliever, which I know that we have believers and unbelievers in here right now. Everywhere we go, there's believers and unbelievers. And Jesus was stuck in that place. You know, he actually hung on a cross between these two. He had two thieves on either side, and, and one of them, one of them, they're hanging there. They're in excruciating pain. And he looks at Jesus and he's like, Jesus, if you, say, if you are who you say you are, why don't you get us off of these crosses? Why don't you do something? He says, Jesus, why don't you prove a point, man? Why don't you prove the point? All these people are mocking you. Why don't you prove a point? Doesn't that feel like culture sometimes? Doesn't that feel like life just pressing on you? What you got to say? Prove your point right? The other thief is looking at him. He says, he actually talks to the other thief and he's like, hey man, look, this guy is who he says he is. And actually he says, Jesus, would you remember me in paradise? He had his priorities right. <laughs> he knew what was coming. And he said, Jesus, remember me. He had one person on one side that was a critic and one who was on his side, right? He had one who agreed and one who disagreed. And I, I want to read this quote to you because it's a question that I think all of us need to have in our mind and understand. Can you get stuck between those who agree and disagree with you and not forget your purpose and keep your Christ-like reputation? Do we have what it takes, people, to stand between, I'm not saying whether you agree or disagree, that doesn't matter, to stay stuck between these two things and maintain your calling maintain your reputation and say, I am a prisoner of the Lord. And therefore how I want to respond, I'm not going to do because I have a higher calling. Amen. I wonder if we have that. I, I, I really hope that we have a church that can do that because that's the kind of church that God's looking for. Okay. Did you know that God is going to come back one day and he's taking his church with him? All right. I think he's looking for a church that is a church that has maintained their integrity and has stayed stuck where other people ran. Where, where other people chose a side and left a wake of destruction and division, where there's still a chosen few who stand in the middle and say, you know what? I think it's better that we're together than apart. You know, if I had two people on either side of me right now pulling Say we had our arms that are locked and, and they're pulling, trying to get me to understand their, their point of view and another one over here. And again, I'm not talking about black and white biblical issues where it's like, hey, 
the Bible says this, I'm definitely here on this issue. I'm talking about the things that there's really not a scripture for, or can I say this, how you view the scripture, right? Because you can read the scripture from a, a, a certain perspective that will support your worldview. So important that your worldview is correct because, and that, that your theology is correct and that you listen and you read about people who maybe don't completely agree with your worldview. Because I'm, I'm telling you, it will change your whole attitude. It will change your whole mindset with people that you disagree with. And if you think all this stuff doesn't matter, does it actually play itself out in the church? It absolutely does. Many, many churches and nations have been destroyed by what we're talking about today. Many, and many will continue to be. Can we be different though? Can we be different? Yeah, I hope we can. Philippians 2.5 says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So for those of you who are saying, oh yeah, that's just the way that you're framing it up. And I know Jesus did those things, but, but that we must, we don't have a choice. We must have the same attitude as Jesus had. And you know what? We must continue to have the same attitude that Jesus has. Because not only was Jesus stuck in the middle between the law and the lost, not only was he stuck in the middle between the believer and the unbeliever, but he remains stuck between God and us. Now, this is where everybody can amen and get excited because we all see eye to eye on this, right? See, it says that Jesus stands before God as an intercessor for us. That is a person who intervenes for someone else, someone else who cannot intervene for themselves. Come on. Jesus is stuck right now and he's praying for you. He's interceding for you. And if that doesn't fill you with humility, and a, and a grateful heart. I don't know what will. And I don't know what else will challenge you to such a place to cause you to want to be like that. Amen. To speak for those who can't speak for themselves, right? Yeah. To, to, to maybe go to bat for somebody that you don't see eye to eye with instead of dividing. Jesus could have done that easily, lawfully but he didn't, he remained true to the calling that he had on his life. And he was supposed to change everything. He was supposed to open up the door to heaven to everybody. And he remained faithful to that. And he still remains faithful today. Are we stuck in the middle? Do we have what it takes? Romans eight thirty one says this, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Come on. Church, look, we're not a white church, we're not a black church, we're not a Republican, Democrat, and whatever else is out there, right? I, th I think every other day there's somebody else that's like a mixture of all of these things. <laughs> we're none of those, all right? 
We're individuals, we're people who have been saved by grace. And in the kingdom of God, there's not like black or white, Jew or Gentile, you know what I'm talking about? I know the scripture. All of those divides, they don't, they shouldn't exist inside the church. They shouldn't. I had a lot of different conversations this past week um, with, with people who have different worldviews and different understandings and, and different life experiences so far. And I just asked them a lot of questions. And I got in some conversations that I really believe a few years ago I would have been uh, fearful to get into because I wasn't quite sure what I would hear. And I think a lot of times we're just, we're really operating out of fear whenever we get in arguments. We're operating out of fear whenever we won't just try to understand somebody's point of view. I was thinking about this past, this past week. I was just, I mean, I was reading the posts. I mean, the, the plethora of posts, okay? And, and I mean, I spent hours this week watching videos and, and, and really trying to understand different points of view. And God did some incredible things in my heart and in my life. And I, like literally I told Nadine this, my wife, I told her a couple days ago, I said, I literally feel that blinders were removed to where whenever I watch people interact and have conversations, I'm hearing what they're saying in a completely different way. Like I'm actually hearing the heart, not the opinion. And see, a lot of times we're listening to the opinion, we're listening to the attitude and the emotion, but we're not listening to the heart and the pain. And I wanna encourage us, all of us, to be a church that does it the right way. I wanna encourage all of us to continue to leave our defenses down as Jesus did. By the way, Jesus was about to be crucified and he said he kept his mouth shut. I couldn't have done that. I don't think I could have stayed on the cross knowing that I could send down legions of angels, all right? Uh-uh. Be like, God, we can find another way to make this thing work, but <laughs> like right now, this hurts way too much. You know what I'm talking about? But he was meek, he was patient, and he listened. And I mean, he was a friend of sinners. He, he was a friend to everybody. Even those that hated him, he loved them. Even though he had, stand, he had to stand against them at times, he loved them and he died for them the same. And I just want to be a church that that is different. I wanna be a church that everybody from every walk of life feels equal and feels accepted, like they belong. You know what I'm talking about? And I think it's so imperative that as a church, we get it right. We be united. We look at each other with love and compassion. We think before we say stuff because we don't know who it's affecting and we choose to be like Jesus, and we remain stuck in the middle. So there's gonna be a lot, of, a lot of times over the next few days that each and every one of you are gonna be confronted with how am I supposed to respond right now? Am I gonna respond out of fear, which will cause me to be defensive and angry, or am I going to humble my thinking, my thought processes, and, and just listen? And maybe, maybe, pray before we speak. I don't know. It's one of those crazy things that Christians are supposed to do. Use tact and wisdom. You know what I'm saying? Why don't we try to do that? 
And let's not just, let's just not apply scriptures like, you know, loving one another to the things that we agree on. But how about we apply those scriptures to the more difficult thing, which is those things that we do not agree on, because that is where unity is found. All right. There's some of you in this room today that you don't know Jesus you're far from God. The things that we're talking about, I mean, the kind of God that we're talking about, the, the scriptures that we're reading, maybe it's opened up a new vantage point of who Jesus is and, and how God interacts with you and in your life. And I wanna give each and every single one of you a choice, a, an opportunity to make a choice to follow Jesus. A choice to follow God, because look, God is for you, no matter where you're coming from in your life, no matter how far you feel like you are away from him, okay? no matter what your upbringing is and your experience, God is for you and he loves you. And, and really the whole gospel message, the whole good news that we're talking about is Jesus was sent to this earth to live a perfect life and die a very painful death in order to pay the price that you couldn't pay for the sin that you're born into. He came to do that for you today so that you could sit here and freely receive the gift of salvation that he offers and it means an eternity knowing him, being with him versus an eternity that is separated from him. And I wanna give every single one of you that opportunity right now. And so would you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're in this place and you, you know that that's you, you feel that tension inside of you today, I'm not gonna embarrass you or, or bring up to the front of the room or do anything like that, but I, I do wanna ask you to do one thing. And it's this, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand because I believe that there's something powerful about raising your hand and saying, that's me, I need Jesus. So all over this room, if you need Jesus today, would you raise your hand, lift it up high, I see you. Yep, I see you, I see, you. I see the couple over here on the right. Yeah, I see you right here in the middle, man. Over here on the side, yep, come on. A lot of people today say, I need Jesus, come on. Come on, his grace is sufficient for you. I see you right here in the middle. He's for you, not against you, and he wants to, the Bible talks about how you transform your heart. And whenever our heart is transformed, first of all, everything else just kind of starts making a little bit more sense. And then we can grow in Christ's likeness and his understanding and the grace and the knowledge of our Lord. I saw you lift your hand in the back too. This is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna say a prayer right now and I, I don't, I don't need you to repeat after me, but I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And in your own words, would you just lay your heart before God today? Let's go to God. Father, we love you and we thank you. And right now, God, I lay my life before you. God, like it's the first time I've ever even said this prayer. God, I give you everything that I am, everything that I have. God, because you love me first. Your word says that you, you saw me and you see me even in my sin. And still you sent Jesus to die for me. And I thank you for that right now. I thank you that you forgive sin. And God, right now I pray that you forgive me of my sin, the things that I have done and said and been. God, I pray that you change me from the inside out. Right now I give you my life. I repent and I turn from my lifestyle that's just not been right. And today, God, I ask you to change me, change my mind, change my heart. I'm surrendered, I'm broken. Here I am. God, would you use me? Would you send me to the people that are around me to make a difference for you? 
I give you everything that I am, Jesus, and I thank you for your salvation. I receive it right now in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Can we give it up for those who give their hearts to God today? Yeah. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.